Hey everyone, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 44. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Today, I'm welcoming bookstore owner and fellow podcaster, Annie Jones, to the show. Annie and I have known each other online for forever, but we recently got to meet at a book conference in Savannah, so now we have that personal connection. That's something we explore a lot in this episode, how personally meeting fellow readers and even authors can completely change how you see and experience a book. I also loved hearing her bookstore story about how she came to own a bookstore in Georgia and about her thing for dysfunctional family literature. This was my conversation with Annie. Welcome to the show, Annie. Thanks, Anne. It's good to be here. Oh, thanks so much. Well, I'm so glad to get to talk to you at length. I've known you on the internet for a while now. I don't know how our paths first crossed, but I'm I glad they did. I don't either. I think, you know, I've been a blog reader for a long time. And I think I do think one particular post you wrote about wanting to own a bookstore. And I do remember that <laughs> one of the first times I commented because I was like, I can actually say something about this. Um but I love that the internet kind of brings kindred spirits together. It makes me happy. Yes, you can find your favorite bookish people online. That's right. Now, I remember that post you're talking about, and it's several years old. And I believe you've owned a bookstore for several years. How did that timing work out for you? So I was a writer and editor for a legal publication. Um, and I was just kind of working a normal nine to five or eight to five kind of gig. And I enjoyed it. Um, I was using my journalism degree um, which is kind of un unbelievable um, <laughs> in our current climate. So I felt like I was using my degree. I enjoyed my job, but something was missing. And I don't know if that's like the angsty millennial in me or what, but I found out that this independent bookstore was opening a branch in my town of Tallahassee, Florida. Um, and it was opening right down the road from me. And so Four years ago, I sent an email to the owner just offering to be story lady or a volunteer, like a book club leader, whatever they were looking for. I would love to help, like in my spare time. And instead, the owner, who I had never met, um, emailed and asked me if I'd be interested in interviewing for their manager position. And I had... <sighs> Wow. Yeah. I had never worked retail, never worked in a bookstore, just a lover of books, love to read, but interviewed. And before you knew it, I was managing that store, managed it for a year before I had my own Kathleen Kelly tragedy, <laughs> where the owner decided to close both the Tallahassee store and her original store in nearby Thomasville, Georgia. Mm -hmm. But she offered me and my husband, the opportunity to buy that store. So three years ago in May, um, we took over the bookshelf in Thomasville. So I have owned the store for three, three and a half years. Okay. Yeah. That's quite it, a ride. It was, I know it's a very compact version of, <laughs> of what has been a really fun and ad fun adventure, but certainly it has had its ups and downs too. <laughs> I, I can imagine. Now, did you ever find out the backstory on how it happened that you sent her an email offering to be story lady and you got offered the job of running the place? 
Yeah, she wrote me right back. Like, she was really kind and wrote me right back that it was such a nice email, which just proves be brave and send those emails or those messages that you think nobody will want. You know, surely that person won't want to hear from you, but they do. Um, And everybody likes to hear that their store is an inspiration or that they are an encouragement. And so I kind of just laid it out there for her that I thought what she was doing was brave and I had always... I had seen the movie You've Got Mail, and I I love that idea, and I would love to help her. And she wrote me right back and was very kind and generous. And then probably two months later is when she approached me again. And later, when she and I were talking as, you know, trying to transfer the business over, she said that, you know, she hadn't gotten very many emails like that. And she knew because we both had Wallace Stegner's um, Crossing to Safety as one of our favorite books. Oh, that's one of my favorites, too. Yeah. And she said that that really kind of gave her a good feeling like, okay, maybe we can make this work. Um, And so that goes back again to kind of finding those kindred bookie spirits um, on the internet. And it's just a weird story, but one I'm very grateful to be a part of. Yes. And... What it reminds me of is a story from Seba last year, not the one we just got back from, okay. but the year before, where I was sitting at dinner around a table with a bunch of authors who somebody asked the question, what is the best thing you've ever done for your career? Mm-hmm. And the answers boiled down to basically be nice. Like uh, the North Carolina <laughs> author had said that when things were going, like her book had hit a few bumps and she sent in like dry ice, North Carolina barbecue and somebody else. Oh, to the whole staff, not just like her agent or her editor, but the people doing the grunt work, you know, standing at the copy machine with her manuscript. Yeah. Um, somebody had sent uh, a whole lot. It might've been gin. It might've been like boutique gin to yeah. their editor. So there was food, flowers, and chocolate, but basically like being nice had done amazing things for their career. Yeah. I so think send a friendly right. email and say, you're doing great. And it, it <laughs> maybe. <That's right. laughs> Absolutely worked for me anyway. Well, I'm glad to hear it. Okay. So Seba, we did just get back from this event we were at together. And then I got to meet you in the middle of chaos rush <laughs> of people standing up amid like what 50 books that were being handed out to booksellers. Not overwhelming at all. Oh no, not at all. So it's nice to have this leisurely chat. So yes. let's talk about what that is, because I think I don't know, that people might be interested in hearing. I want to say how the sausage is made, but that kind of has a negative connotation. I don't mean it like that. Sure. So so it's the Southern Independent Booksellers Alliance. This is the big annual show in the fall where basically booksellers are deciding what they want to carry in their stores for the next six to nine months. So take it away from there. So actually, I've owned my shop for three years, but I have never been to SEBA. Um, I think any bookstore owner or bookseller will tell you that often store events trump events like this. So every year in September, we had this local author event that I just felt like I could not miss. And this is the first year where that event got moved and then another event got put in its place. So I thought for sure I was going to miss SEBA yet again, but I was asked to be on a panel. And so that kind of was the ultimate trump card. And so I decided to go to SEBA. And I'm so glad I did. For me, 
yes, I'm picking what books I want to stock, but I also have such great sales reps who either come see me or we talk on the phone. And so it's great to see the books in person or to meet the authors. I think that's really important. But another component of SEBA that I just don't get typically is that educational piece where you're Mm -hmm. going and attending panels or you're standing next to a bookseller and you figure out what their manager does and maybe what your manager needs to be doing. And so that little educational piece and that slight networking piece, those were my favorite parts of SEBA and kind of why I would think it might be valuable for me in the future. And then the meeting of the authors and the interacting with other book lovers that's just kind of icing on the cake. Because that is something you get to do in your regular bookstore life. But I would imagine that SIBA is like <laughs> that author interaction on steroids because there are just so many people there. There okay. are so many, yeah. So tell us about that panel because I'm super jealous. That panel was one of my personal highlights, obviously, but it was a panel about females in entrepreneurship led by Grace Bonney of Design Sponge fame. So that alone right there, just I couldn't believe. I mean, I used to read Design Sponge when I had my boring desk job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it was just really fun to get to meet her and have her moderating our panel. And she was a fantastic moderator. But then it was an extra treat to be with Janet who is the owner of Avid Bookshop in Mm -hmm. Athens, Georgia, one of my favorite bookstores, and Jamie from Flyleaf Books in Asheville, North Carolina. And at first that was a little intimidating. I have only owned my store for three years. I feel very new to the book industry, for lack of a better word. And I thought, oh no, how am I going to do this? But everybody was so personable and so kind. And when it comes to entrepreneurship, we're all just kind of figuring things out as we go. So the panel was fun to be on, but I also am envious of all the people who just got to sit and listen and take <laughs> notes because Jamie and Janet and Grace had so many great ideas and so many things I wanted to be writing down. And I couldn't cause I, because I was mm-hmm. up in the front of the room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not a, a huge interior design person. I do like design sponge and I have since I found it, but that's not like necessarily my thing, sure. but Grace is, well, she was so kind, which was so good to know in person. So just kind and gracious and the kind of person that you'd like to, it's like, oh, I'm so glad you're what I hoped you would be, Um, you know, meeting her. But also she is just so smart. I have a lot of respect for her as a business woman. And that panel sounded just perfect for all you all. Thank you. Yeah, it was really wonderful. And she, you're right. Sometimes when you meet these people who you have only quote unquote met on the internet, you're just not sure how they're going to be. And that's the same, the same is true of authors. You just aren't sure how they're going to be in person, but she was so smart and so kind and so warm and really handled that panel beautifully. I just can't say enough nice things about her. She was really fantastic. Yeah, I thought so too. And so many I mean, I met so many authors this weekend and it was just, I don't know if I would have believed 10 years ago if you told me how, of course I heard the odd book talk like in my local bookstore or at school or something like that. But I have just been really pleasantly surprised the past few years at how much meeting the author and I mean, just putting a face to a name and seeing that they're an actual real life human being. And then even better to hear them talk about their work. It adds so much to the reading experience, like much more than I would have guessed before I got into all this. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, there's a book that comes up on your podcast pretty frequently, um, Wild by Cheryl Strayed. Mm -hmm. And that book I read with my book club and I liked it. Um, 
you know, thought it was interesting, inspiring. Uh, I'm very different from Cheryl Strait. And so it was, you know, kind of hard to wrap my brain around some of what she was experiencing, Mm -hmm. but she gave an author lecture at um, Florida State University. And so I was able to attend and I look back on the book wild now. I don't know if it's with rose colored glasses or just with a completely different perspective. But once I heard her talk, I like a, a flip switch. Like I felt completely different about her book. I, now I kind of rave about it. I think it's fantastic. And that truly is because I met her and got to hear her tell some of those stories in person. And I think it made a profound impact and it makes a huge difference sometimes in what you think about a work of literature or a memoir. Um, that's just one that really sticks out to me. Cause I know that book has come up on the, your podcast a few times mm-hmm. and hearing her really did change my perspective on that book. Yeah, that's so interesting. Once you meet the person, you I mean, this sounds so silly because obviously you know that people write books. They're not just, you know, right. generated by machines and computers <laughs> somewhere. But I don't know. It just adds this human element like, oh, that happened to you and I can see you and now I can read it in your voice. Yeah. And especially I love hearing the inspiration and the backstory and the like almost happened, the plot lines and things like that. Absolutely. Were there any other authors you met in Savannah that really made you want to pick up their work or change the way you looked at their work? One panel that I got to attend was the middle reader panel. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've got a bookseller in my store that focuses on children's and YA literature, but I still, I still love it. And so (laughs) it's your job to love it. That's right. So I went into that panel and it was made up of four different authors. One of whom is the author of the hamster princess. um, I don't know if you've heard of those. No, but that title is hysterical. (laughs) Yeah, they're a hilarious series of books. And then the other author, and I can never, I never know how to pronounce her last name, but her first name is Amy, and she wrote the Popularity Papers, Mm -hmm. and now she's written a book called The Mighty Odds. And those two authors in particular, Hamster Princess, I kind of have, you know, put in the hands of children sometimes, like if they're looking for something goofy or fun. But now I want to sell so many of those books because she was such a hilarious panelist and so, so interesting. And the story behind these really goofy books, I just loved meeting those particular authors because those are books I was already kind of recommending. I know those are books we stock but I have not read them myself. And so sometimes it's hard to sell books that you haven't read. Um, and now I've met them. And so I feel in a way as if I've read those books and I can really get behind them because I've seen the faces kind of behind, behind the books and that those in particular, I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed meeting them. And then there were a few others at the movable feast of authors, just where I was able books I would not have normally stocked. But then upon meeting those authors and hearing the background to the books, I thought, oh, that actually is interesting, or that actually is something I could yes. stop. Um, so that yes. was a really profitable event for me as a bookseller, and I'm sure for people as readers as well. Yes. Okay. So tell us a little about what that is, because I think most of our listeners have never had the pleasure, at least not yet, of getting to go to something like a movable feast. Yes. Well, that was my first time to experience something like that too, but I'll call it like speed dating with authors. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) Where you're sitting at a table eating lunch um, with some other, at my table, I had book booksellers, bookstore owners, but also readers. 
And then there's one kind of empty chair where an author rotates in every 10 minutes. So you get 10 minutes with an author to learn about their book. Um, and I had the really just random but extremely fun experience of sitting right next to the empty chair. <laughs> <laughs> so um, when Liam Moriarty came and sat at my table, I tried not to fangirl too hard. <laughs> that well, I was too hard. <laughs> yeah, eating lunch with uh -huh. her was super exciting. But yeah, you kind of get a 10 minute author talk and Q&A session with these authors. And you walk away with so many books and so many authors that you didn't know about and that you automatically want to add to your TBR list. So really fun experience. Yeah, I guess with this whole thing with meeting authors and, you know, booksellers and fellow bookish people too, the personal connection is so powerful. Absolutely. And I think sometimes, you know, not to put, not to make it sound like it's perfect, because sometimes you do meet authors where it doesn't quite match up. I mean, that happens all the time, just like you maybe meet people that you think you're going to connect with, and then you don't. Um, I know that that has happened with me as a bookseller, where an author will either come to the shop, or I'll meet them at an event like SIBA. And I'll think, oh, you're, you know, I'm not necessarily let down, but they're just so different from what I was expecting. And that doesn't happen often, but it, it does kind of affect your reading and it affects how you see them. And so it's such a delight when it's the other way around, when you meet them and they're <laughs> wonderful in person and they tell a beautiful story, mm -hmm. you know, they're not just fantastic at their writing craft, but they're fantastic at crafting a story on stage or in person. I think that's a really, a really important thing to note that, some authors are really gifted at writing and then it's really special when they're also gifted at storytelling in person. Yes, for sure. Has there been a time where you've really come away with a totally new, well, you already shared about wild, but let's hear some more because these stories are so fun where you've come away with a totally new appreciation for the work or changed your mind or just realized that you were missing like a whole layer of depth that was there, but you couldn't see it until the author kind of showed you the way. Has that ever happened to you? Absolutely. It happens all the time. Another situation, which this is why Thomasville, we're so grateful to be near Tallahassee because Florida State does host some some bigger authors that mm -hmm. we might not get in our smaller town. But Elizabeth Gilbert came um, this February and I already, you know, and I know some people roll their eyes at Eat, Pray, Love, and that's fine. But I really enjoyed that book when it came out. But I also really loved her book called Committed, which was about kind of marriage and the history of marriage. Mm -hmm. I found that book to be really interesting. And like a lot of people, I loved Big Magic and the ideas found there. And she was one of those authors who I thought, oh, I hope she'll be just as delightful in person. And rest assured, she was. Like she, she gave such an incredible talk. She was so personable and kind of self-deprecating and funny. She was really funny. And so that kind of added an element to her work, just knowing that she has this great sense of humor. Another author last year, our town did a one book project where our whole community reads the same book. Really? Yes, this that is uh, very cool. Oh, it's really, it's really wonderful. We just wrapped up our fourth year last week where we all read the same book and then we get the author to come to town and do a lecture. And last year, the book that our community read was The Happiness Project by Gretchen Rubin. Uh -huh. And interestingly, in my town, people were kind of split on how much they liked that book. I really enjoy 
I won't call them self-help books, but personal growth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I like that much better too. Yes. I I really do enjoy well-written personal growth stories. I loved better than before. I really enjoyed the happiness project when it came out several years ago. So meeting Gretchen Rubin, I mean, I got to have dinner with her and I fully anticipated her to be this really intellectual and she is, she's very smart, but this really intellectual, almost you know, big city New Yorker that I just wouldn't be able to relate to at all. And instead, I will never forget, and I think it's okay for me to say this, but she showed up at my bookstore in sweatpants and tennis shoes, ready to walk the streets of Thomasville and kind of see our downtown shops. And she immediately wanted to know what books I had been reading lately. She just immediately started asking me questions. Mm -hmm. And that made a huge impact on me. I kind of expected or maybe anticipated that she would just be on this whole other plane. Like she's this New York Times bestselling author. Mm -hmm. She's come to my small South Georgia town from New York City. What is she going to think? How is she going to act? And she was a delight, um, just incredibly pleasant, down to earth, far more down to earth than I ever thought. And so that's another kind of really fun author experience that I don't think I'll ever forget. That is so fun. She's actually, she's going to be on the show. So stay tuned, everybody. Um, one I can think of myself is we had a modern Mrs. Darcy book club for the first time starting the summer and we're continuing through the fall. But the first author chat we did together was with Chris Cleave to talk about his book, everyone brave is forgiven. And oh my goodness. I mean, I love the book. I thought the book was amazing. That's why we read it. But just to hear his stories about how his grandparents specifically inspired it and how he wanted you to be surprised. It's a war novel. And he wanted you to be surprised when tragedy struck unexpectedly. So he talked about how he would write the scene into the story and then back it up 15 pages arbitrarily Mm -hmm. because that's what war felt like. And he put himself on war rations. So he described that experience of being on war rations and how it changed the way he wrote about food in the novel. So before, I think most of us really enjoyed the book and were very excited to talk to him. But afterwards, we were like... um, We'd like to read everything you've ever written starting tomorrow. (laughs) And if we could have a weekly Sunday night dinner, that would be great. (laughs) It's amazing what those background stories can really do to enhance your reading. I remember reading The Martian and I enjoyed The Martian, like thought it was really interesting, a page turner. I was deeply invested in that character, but only when I reached the very end and read the author's note and realized Andy Weir kind of came at this almost as a self-published author. And I, I didn't know that. Yeah. And yes, he kind of serialized this story on his website and then um, people loved it so much that he put it on Amazon. I think, I think if I'm not mistaken through create space or something like that and you know, and then a publisher found it and I thought, oh my gosh, I wish that author's note had been at the beginning of the book. It completely blew my mind and changed all, not all the things I thought about the book, but mm-hmm. it really did enhance my reading. So those background stories um, that the authors are able to share really does affect, I think, the the reading experience for sure. That is crazy. I yeah. had no idea. Yeah, go back and just read the author's note. It's really fascinating. Okay, I will. <laughs> well, we're going to get to your books in just a second. First, we're going to take a quick break. Anna, you know how this works. So on our show, you tell me three books you love, one book you hate, and what you've been reading lately, and then we talk about what you should read next. Are you ready with some favorites? I am ready. I hope I'm ready. I, <laughs> I Was it hard? Some- 
Well, I have so many books that I love. I tried to really limit it to the past 12 months. Mm-hmm. And I hope I can remember the ones that I told you. About. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's hear it. What's book one? We'll see. Okay, book one is Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel. And you just read that in the last 12 months. Uh, well, I probably read it I probably read it last summer, yeah, um, because I came to it late. I read it, I actually, at our store, we put the hardbacks on sale when the paperbacks come in, and so I snagged a 50% off hardback version for myself. Nice. Yes, so I believe I read it last um, May, like Memorial Day weekend, I okay. think, so yeah. Now tell us how that landed on your list. So obviously, at that point, it had already been very popular. I think it was a finalist for the National Book Award, and it was just one of those that I kept putting off because it was described to me as post-apocalyptic fiction, and I was not interested. Mm -hmm. I just felt like, no, I've been there, done that, and that's not even my favorite genre to begin with, but picked it up, like I said, because it was on the 50% off shelf at my bookstore, and I was hooked from page one and that particular reading experience. I remember when I finished it, I was driving, we were going on vacation and we were driving and I finished it and I thought, I'll never get to read this book for the first time again. Are you usually the kind of person who thinks that? I'm not like, I, I mean, I'm not a huge rereader, but when I do find a book that I love, I'm almost filled with sorrow that, oh no, it's over. <laughs> but this is one of the first times that I thought not only, oh no, is it, it's over, but oh no, I won't get to experience it for the first time ever again. So that's um, really high praise for you. Tr- truly high praise. It's one of my favorite books, maybe of the past 10 years. I mean, I just truly thought she handled that subject matter so beautifully. And after reading it, I would put it into the hands of readers and customers. And I refuse to say (laughs) (laughs) post-apocalypse. So how did you describe it to them? Um, I said it was a story about stories and about what happens to humankind when, when art goes missing and and how important art is. And I don't know if it's the liberal arts major in me that found that story to be so beautiful and to just be reminded of the things that are really important um, when everything else kind of goes wrong. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I just, I loved that book. And and I think she handled it with such grace and ease. Um, I can't I can't say more wonderful things about it. I just, I just love that book. I think that's enough. What I mean is, <laughs> what I mean is, in earnest, like I loved it so much can say as much as, you know, yeah. 900 words, a plot summary. Absolutely. Which I don't think usually plot some, it's the rare book where a plot summary makes anybody want to read it, but that's what yeah. I have discovered as a bookseller for sure. It's Ooh, more about, yeah, it's more about your own personal feelings, at least at an independent bookstore. Yeah. When customers get to know you and your booksellers, they want to know what you think more than they want to know what it's about, which is good because I often read so much (laughs) that the plot (laughs) becomes less important than the feeling I get Mm -hmm. when I'm done with the book. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's important to people too. That's, and it's just so much more interesting to hear how a book affected you than to hear what happened at the beginning, middle and end. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. What's book two? Okay. Book two um, is Sons and Daughters of Ease and Plenty by Uh. Ramona have you read this one? No, I'm cringing because <laughs> I thought really hard about reading it. And this is one of the rare books where I was holding it in my, I might still have it in my house someplace. And I decided 
you know what? I think this is probably not as good as it's been made to sound by the sales copy. And I am consciously choosing not to read it. And now it's your favorite. And I think, oh, what have I done? Well, okay. let me tell let, me more. Yeah. Let me tell you why, because it was hard to come up with, as I'm sure, I think every guest who has ever been on your podcast has said how hard this is. I chose to put this one on my three to name to you because it sums up so beautifully this genre of book that I really love, which is dysfunctional family literature. <laughs> and I, I like it. Well, I feel like everybody talked about The Nest this year, and I thoroughly enjoyed The Nest. But I wanted to kind of give praise to a book that I think got maybe went under the radar this summer a little bit. And so that's why I decided to put uh, sons and daughters on my list. It's about a couple who have been really well off. And then this kind of event happens where their money goes, you know, goes away and they no longer have money. But what I love about the book is the children. Children in literature, I feel like can go either way, especially in adult literature. I feel like children are done a much better service in children and YA lit. But <laughs> but this book really treated the children like their own characters instead of just the son or daughter of someone. Mm -hmm. And that to me brought the whole book together. I thought the writing was great, but it didn't get all the praise I thought it deserved. And so I wanted to give it a plug <laughs> on your podcast. I just, it's, it's a book that I really enjoyed this. I think I read it in galley format, maybe earlier this spring. And I don't know, I just, that family, dysfunctional family, kind of what happens when the things we have go missing. I guess that's also similar to station 11. Um, I really, I really enjoyed this one and I hope other people pick it up because I really thought it was great. Well, I love that you're giving a lesser buzzed about title some love because I think if you're listening to this podcast, you don't want to just be reading the books that everybody else is reading. Right. Um, I Instagrammed a photo uh, from an independent bookstore. I was at Sundog Books in Seaside this summer. Oh, this and I just posted a photo of the New York Times bestseller list and said, I don't choose by this, but I can't resist looking. And there were a couple of snarky comments that said, ah, what people who don't actually read books are reading this summer. And I oh. thought that was really funny. <laughs> but so harsh, so harsh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought so. And that's not totally true. But yeah, it's great to hear books that have been pulled out of, you know, the thousands of titles by people who love them, and not just what everybody else is buying. Yeah, I so really I put this. I hope people put this one on their lists, and I hope they enjoy it. I I really loved it, and I I think other people will too. I'm glad to hear it, and now I'm second guessing myself for my choice. <laughs> <laughs> I've got nothing but time just to add another book back That's to right. this. Put stack. it on your stack, exactly. Annie, what's book three? Okay, so I hope this is allowed. Book three is called The Mothers by Britt Bennett, and it's coming out in a few weeks. <laughs> Last week, I, or I recommended one that's coming out in January. So okay. yeah, it's fair game. Okay, so The Mothers is going to be one of my top 10 books of the year. It is brilliantly written. The author is a 26-year-old, which just makes me so envious I hope in a healthy way <laughs> um, because I just can't believe the maturity of her writing already. It's her debut novel. It takes place out in California and the plot is fascinating because it's all about this young woman and she falls in love with a pastor's son and then something happens that sets their lives on this particular trajectory. 
But the title comes from the fact that there's almost a Greek chorus throughout the book, and those are the voices of her church mothers. I can't, much like the other titles I've mentioned, I can't say enough good things about this book. I cannot wait to hand sell it, to put it in the hands of my readers and my customers because it's brilliantly written and gosh, just beautiful. I I just can't wait to sell it. Have you read this one? I have. And I recommended it to Anissa Davis, I think in episode 38. So we talked about how it was sad, but it had this, it had this feeling of inevitability. Like I thought that Britt Bennett, I did not know she was 26. Yes. Unbelievable. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I knew it was her debut, but wow. Yeah. Um, just how she writes her characters in such a way that they're utterly believable. And while you don't love the choices there, I mean, their choices are totally making you go, please don't, please don't, please right. don't do that thing. Just you feel the sense of inevitability, like how it's completely believable. And I really admire it when an author is able to do that. Yeah. Her characters were so well-rounded and realistic. And one thing, I mean, I do enjoy books that wrap up in a pretty bow and sure. I like, I love feel good books as much as the next person, but I'm really drawn to books where bad or tragic or sad things happen that kind of set people on a path. I I recently, earlier this summer, I guess, read Commonwealth by Ann Patchett. And I love that book for those same reasons. Like I don't necessarily need likable characters, but I do want characters that are well-developed and that are making decisions that I can, while I might disagree with them, I can understand their reason for making them. And so, yeah, Commonwealth, Commonwealth is a bonus. That's a bonus pick. (laughs) Well, I was thinking of recommending that to you when you were talking about dysfunctional family literature. Yes. It's right in there. Yes. So good. Yeah. Well, we, you don't have to wait long to hand sell it. So that's, that's right. It comes out in October and we're just, I think probably by the time this comes out, maybe people will be able to. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm with you. Like, I love a good feel good story and it is nice sometimes when everything resolves neatly and tidily, Mm -hmm. but sometimes you just need, I mean, it's fiction. You need something that starts messy and gets messier and ends a total disaster because better in the pages of your book than in your real life. Absolutely. Exactly. What's a book you hate? Okay. So I, a lot of listeners or or I feel like guests on your podcast have a hard time with this one. I don't like a lot of books. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, um, the one I chose and I, by the way, I do hate talking about books that I don't like because I'm a bookseller and I feel like it's, (laughs) it's a disservice when I hate a book. Um, but do you feel like you're, Customers trust you though, that they know that you were, I mean, you might not say, oh, I hated that book. Don't buy it. I don't think I'd hear you say that in your store, but you know, it's not like you're the sales girl who's just going to tell you that whatever you put on, no matter what size it is or what color it is, is going to tell you, oh, you look fabulous. Buy it now. Yeah, I do think my customers trust me, which I am very grateful for. And we have, I don't mean this to sound like a plug, but on our podcast, our store podcast, we do a segment sometimes called Love It or Loathe It. (laughs) Did you love this book or did you loathe it? And I have just had a couple of loathe it this year. Mm -hmm. And one of them was this particular book called Walt by Russell Wengerski. It's a thriller suspense novel. And I enjoy a suspense when it's well done. I love Tana French. I love, I love really well done, calculated 
suspense thrillers. I enjoy twists and, you know, unexpected turns. So I don't think that's the reason I loathe this particular book. Um, so this book is creepy. The creepiness factor is that it's all about this man who is a um, custodian of a grocery store. And he, this is, go- this is going to sound, you're, you're, Listeners are going to think I was weird for even reading this book. Um, but basically he picks who to stalk or to um, follow and chase next based on the grocery list that he finds discarded in his grocery store. No, I thought that was a fascinating premise, but I haven't read the book. I can see why you'd pick it up. You think, how do you make a novel out of that? Yeah, because that's creepy. Like, that's interesting. And then it does make you, and I will give the author credit because it did make me wonder, oh my gosh, like, what do my grocery list say? <laughs> <laughs> but the writing just wasn't for me. And what I say on our podcast, or I say in the store all the time is just because it's not for me, doesn't mean it's for you. Um, one of my bookstore staffers loved this book. Mm-hmm. Like she was the one who kind of put it in my hands and said, Annie, you have to read this. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it was, but I was turned off from the very, from the moment I picked it up and it just felt like a slog the whole way through which was disappointing because I know my fellow bookseller wanted me to love it. And I just, oh gosh, I really did not. <laughs> well, that's good to know. And it doesn't mean that it's not for the listeners because that's seriously, right. that did, I want to see how they turned the grocery lists into how they made them so important. Yes. I, like I said, just because it's not for me doesn't mean it was for somebody else. My bookseller loved it. So I just loathed it. You might love it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What are you reading now? So last night I finished The Year of Living Danishly by Helen Russell. Oh, I keep hearing good things about this. What did you think? Tell us more. Yeah, I picked it up based on Shauna Nequist's recommendation. Um, Just because I'm a bookseller doesn't mean I don't get my book recommendations off Instagram. Uh Um, So (laughs) she posted about it and... I picked it up because, like I said, right, I enjoyed the Happiness Project better than before. I liked the Year of Living biblically, like I'm a sucker for these kinds of stories. Um, I found this one to be fascinating. Helen Russell is from Great Britain. She moved to Denmark for a year with her husband when he got a job with Lego. And she used this opportunity to write about why are the Danish the happiest people on earth? Because, you know, consistently Denmark is ranked as the happiest country. And I just found it. I, this is one of those books that at night I would be reading it and I would nudge my husband awake and be like, you've got to listen to this. Like, (laughs) this is so interesting. I, I knew nothing really uh, except for the happiness factor. I knew nothing about Denmark going in. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, their, their 50% tax rate, I just was, you know, I was just, whoa, I can't fathom that, you know, as a book, as a bookstore owner where I feel like I'm paying taxes all the time, I was like, Oh, 50%. But then you learn about what that goes toward and the lifestyle. And from November to March, it's freezing there. And so people kind of hole up in their homes, but their homes are cozy and fun and warm. And anyway, I just learned so much about Denmark and there's a section in the back of the book that's like 10 things you can do to live Danishly. And again, I'm a sucker for things like that. And so, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed that one. If you like the happiness project in that genre of literature, then you are going to enjoy this. Very nice. I like it. 
Annie, is there anything you'd like to be different in your reading life? So I read a lot for my job. I read about eight to 10 books a month on a good month or on in a month like September, um, where I was super busy with our one book project and really stressed at work and going to SIBA. I, I think I read four books in September. So that mm-hmm. was a, my reading life is very affected by my work life, obviously. And sometimes that makes me sad because the Annie before the bookshelf just loved to read and it wasn't my job. It was just something I enjoyed doing. And now I really have to catch myself some people tease me, my friends tease me because I'm always reading ahead, which I'm sure you feel the same way, where you're reading galleys and you're reading advanced reader copies. And I, that was one of my reading resolutions this year was to try to stay on top of the galleys that I get. Um, oh, <laughs> wow. That's ambitious. Um, well, yeah, it's impossible. <laughs> it's impossible, but I've done a better job this year. But as a result, you know, I'm not always reading backlist titles or I'm not always reading like the year of living Danishly was kind of an outlier for me. Like I picked that up because Shauna recommended it mm-hmm. and I thought, okay, I'm in a reading rut. I'll grab this. Um, so I don't know when I'm stressed, I would like to pick up books instead of now when I'm stressed, I turn on Netflix and that didn't used to be the case. And so I don't know if it's that work is often the stressor. And so to get away from work, I can't read. I need to watch TV. Um, But I would like to get out of that habit so that I can find reading to not just be my job or to be information gathering, but to still be a comfort. Um, And I don't know if that's possible, but that is something I would like to see kind of change in my reading life. Okay. So as I'm thinking about titles for you, then you don't necessarily want all brand new fiction. No, although I'm open to it because often there are books that I've inevitably missed. So sure. I'm, I'm really open to anything. I didn't stick very many nonfiction books on my top three, but I do read, read nonfiction and enjoy it. So, okay. Rattle off some favorites real quick. Um, so I, yeah, I read, well, obviously year of living Danishly and then, um, you'll grow out of it by Jesse Klein is, uh, Oh, it's hilarious. It's hilarious. It's like Mindy Kaling, less, uh, raunchy Lena Dunham. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, it's really funny. I also read Love Warrior by Glennon uh, Mel- uh, Melton Doyle, I think, or is it Doyle Melton? Glennon Doyle Melton. Um, everybody knows what you're talking about because Oprah picked it. Yeah, Oprah picked it. Oh gosh, Underground Railroad was fiction, but so good. Anyway, so really enjoyed Love Warrior. I like r- spiritual memoir. I loved Walking on Water by Madeline Lingle. Ooh. Yeah, that's one of my favorite books. Anything by Barbara Brown Taylor. Yeah. Does that give you enough? A Quiet by Susan Cain. That's one of my favorite books. Okay. Yeah, that's plenty. That's plenty to blow up people's reading lists. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Until sometime into 2017. Okay. Well, I have ideas for you. I'm always a little nervous to recommend books to bookstore owners, but I do have ideas. And um, we'll see what you think right after the break. Annie, I love what you chose today. And Somehow your picks just seem to fit in perfectly with my (laughs) probably off base, but not terribly off base image of what I expect an independent bookstore owner in the South to be reading. (laughs) So good. What you chose, I mean, you know, I, you'd like to read all over the place and uh, it would give me a lot of confidence as a customer if I were coming in to shop in your store, but the favorites you chose from the last 12 months were all solid literary fiction picks. And yeah, you really do have the dysfunctional family literature thing going here. <laughs> I like I it. 
<laughs> and the writing is all really strong. And yeah, they're interesting picks that aren't necessarily what the whole world is going to be reading, even if they are going to sell a lot of copies and find their way into the hands of a lot of readers. Yeah. With the major exception of Station Eleven, which right. has done exceptionally well commercially. What do you think about Swing Time by Zadie Smith? I started Swing Time. I had never read Zadie Smith before, but I started it, fell in love with the characters, and was hooked until the middle. And now I have put it down probably two months ago and never picked it back up. Oh, I feel bad even saying that. Did you make a conscious decision, like I did, ironically, with Sons and Daughters of Ease and Plenty, that you were done? Or is it the kind of thing where you just started reading other stuff? I put it down because I it was becoming a chore. Uh-huh. And my reading list is so long that when something starts to become a chore, I think, okay, I need to put it down for a time. Like, even if it's just a weekend, I need to put this down. But what was a weekend put down turned into, as I said, two months ago. Were you happier when you weren't reading it? Yeah. Okay. This is interesting. Here's what I like about it for you. If listeners just want to know what I had in mind. Yeah. So it's issues of race, class, and messed up families. Yeah. The writing is strong, although it was my first Zadie Smith, too. It was a little more graphic in places than I expected. It was a little more cringy. Like, she's not she's not graphic, but she's it's coarse. How's that? Yeah, that um, makes sense. That's accurate. And, but it really reminded me of Elena Ferrante in a way I just wasn't expecting at all. Can I give a bookseller, bookstore owner confession? Oh, Absolutely. We could have a whole episode of Bookseller <laughs> Confessions. People love, I'd love to hear them all day long. I have so many. Um, but I have not read Elena Ferrante yet. Uh, I feel okay. so bad. We're going to grab our hook and pull you off the show. Honest. Okay, so here's how I started reading Elena Ferrante. My local independent store here in Louisville, Carmichael's Books, they started doing this thing maybe like a year and a half ago. It was cold outside. Maybe it was two and a half years ago called Blind Date with a Book. And I'm sure you've seen it all over Pinterest. Oh, yeah, we that. Yep. So they wrap the book in brown paper. They put a description on it. And then they write the skew on the back so that they can like charge you for it before you um, right. <laughs> right, crack open the cover. So this was described as something along the lines of lyrical, moving, and this is what got me a masterpiece you probably haven't read yet because mm. if it's a masterpiece I would have read it right <laughs> but right. this was when there was only I think one book out I think the second one was about to come out and it, so my brilliant friend it's dysfunctional family in a different culture it's been described as being similar to Jane Austen and I do not understand that at all it's about a lifelong friendship between two girls fraught with difficulties and their very messy family relationships first as children and then as wives and then as mothers and it's a big sprawling mess that Ferrante makes epic like she lends it just an epic quality the way she does the writing so can I ask a question about that yeah no no questions allowed here (laughs) (laughs) So, so part of the reason I have not picked that up is I think and I hurt just I'm hearing myself on this podcast now I immediately I kind of make gut decisions about books once I start them mm-hmm. um, whether it's Walt I started it and I knew immediately this is not for me um, but slogged through it anyway or station 11 where I knew from page one I am here for this I love this I'm I'm here for the long haul and one hesitation I've had to pick up my brilliant friend is I'm repeatedly being told whether it's on podcasts or 
book interviews or Instagram recommendations, it's you're going to love this, but give it 150 pages. Is that true? I don't think you have to give the first one 150 pages. I mean, not based on your favorites and okay. what you typically read. I don't think so. And the first one, 150 pages would be almost half of it. Right. Um, are you an, put it off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you an audiobook listener? Um, so, no. <laughs> no. Okay. Because okay. I think it's strong on audio, but I read the first one on paper and not on – the first one on paper and the second one on audio and I still haven't read three and four. Okay, okay, Annie, we're totally pivoting from Zadie Smith, which you may or may not ever pick back up again. Let's okay. do Elena Ferrante. They are well-written. They take you into another time and place. In many ways, I can see a strong resemblance to Station Eleven. We have okay. dysfunctional families. We have secrets. We have an evolving friendship between two girls that is tumultuous over many years. Yeah. Give it 20 pages. You don't need to give it 150. Okay. okay. All right. That seems fair. Okay. Book two. Have you read The After Party? Yes. She, Anton Disclafani came to our store. I love her. How was she in person? Uh, fantastic. She's very smart. She's very intellectual, um, but personable. She was very like, come as you are. Like she came right in, sat down, started signing books, interacted with my staff. Um, yeah, I really liked her a lot, which was good because Yana Lassi writing camp is one of my favorites. I've heard such mixed things about that one. I haven't read it yet. I really loved it. Part of the reason I loved it was she wrote about central Florida in a way that actually gave central Florida an accurate depiction of itself mm -hmm. <laughs> instead of, I, instead of all about Disney or palm trees or, you know, I feel like people get Florida wrong in literature a lot, but <laughs> she really did it well. I love Yana Lassi. If you like Ian McEwen or atonement, I'd put it, I'd put it around there. I liked it. Okay. I'm glad to hear it. What do you think about Elizabeth Burke? I am familiar with her, but I have not read her. Okay. Here's what I like about Elizabeth Berg for you. And let me think. We are going to go with, I think, What We Keep by Elizabeth Berg. We have a dysfunctional family, family secrets. Also, we have here is the common thread of Leon Moriarty. So you had already left SIBA at this point, but we talked for the keynote later in the afternoon when you might already have been back in Thomasville. So I asked her... I forget the exact question, but it was something like, who are your literary heroes? Like, who are the people you look to for advice and inspiration? And, you know, who do you really admire as a writer? And Elizabeth Berg was who she said without hesitation. And then she told this really funny story about melting down. In, like, so she saw her outside an airport. I, I hope we're going to have clips to share from the show oh, this week fun. or from my talk with her on the show this week. And, but she said how she like leapt out of a cab because she saw Elizabeth Berg on the sidewalk when they were going to an event. Like at this, it might've been BEA or something in New York. So she spotted Elizabeth Burke and she left out of the cab and she wanted to tell her this heartfelt thing. And instead she just started crying. <laughs> like, oh thank you for everything you've done for me. Oh, um, I love that. Because of Leon's personal history, because I learned this weekend it's Leon. Um, yes. Because of her personal history, she said that her work, she discovered her first Elizabeth Burke novel and she immediately read everything she had written up to that point, like all in a big rush. And it had made such a difference to her as a person and as a writer. And she just wanted to thank her. And that's a lot of weight for one conversation to bear. Yeah. So it just got weepy. And I thought, goodness, I bet Elizabeth Burke appreciated that. 
maybe even more than the heartfelt thank you. But so that is the connection I like for you. And this is about a woman on a trip to California to see her mother for the first time in 35 years. So the book starts with some rather outrageous quote, like my mother's not a good person. I don't like her, but she ends up making the trip to appease her sister because, um, she's awaiting the results of a diagnostic test. So in flashback, we go back and we see the girl's childhood and how she came to feel this way. And we start to see the problems over time. But what we keep kind of along the lines of the books you love shows how, what we lose and you're not supposed to define a book by the title, but, or, (laughs) you know, like in a definition, you're not supposed to use the word, but you know, as time goes by, what falls away and what do we cling to? How does that sound for you? Yeah, I'm intrigued. I, I'm very intrigued because I have not read her before. And so now I'm wondering if I should. So yeah, I think, I think that could fit the bill. I'm curious. I'm really curious now about all of these because, you know, making a gut decision about books, like I just, can we sit down with the stack together and I could just watch you read the first paragraph and we can see how it goes. It'd be like book therapy. That sounds like so much fun. Okay. What about The Children by Anne Leary? I have not read this. Okay. Tell me if I'm on the right track. Okay. Quirky old money family. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Should I just stop there? Yes, I love that. Already. Done. (laughs) Patriarch dies. Okay. Everybody's pulled back into the orbit. Yes. Relationships are reshuffled. Yes. Okay. The, the, uh, The ending is a little, it has a little more of a bow than the mother's. Okay. But it's, it's funny and kind of dark and you have old money and then the nouveau riche and there's a lot of internet talk and big surprises at the end. How does that sound? It sounds great. I read, this is where I leave you. Did you read that? Yes. Um, and wanted to like it more than I did. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. So this sounds like maybe it could be the antidote to that book. I like the sound of it. And it is also really, this one is short. So if you gave it 150 pages, you'd practically be done. Okay. Okay. That's not, you know, when you have so much in your stack, short isn't a bad thing. um, Absolutely. I think old Annie would cringe at that, but no, my nightstand looks ridiculous right now. (laughs) So short sounds great. I used to love long books because if you loved it, like the longer, the better. And exactly those days are gone. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My 20 year old self would be appalled, but there it is. Okay. Annie, what do you think you'll read next? I think that I will pick up the children, but you have maybe given me the nudge I need to read my brilliant friend. We had had a couple of requests to review it on our podcast. Mm-hmm. And so I think I'll read my brilliant friend with when it's a little bit cozier weather down here in South Georgia, and it can be my like cozy in for the winter book. Um, but I'm going to pick up the children ASAP. Okay. It definitely sounds like a cozy settle in for the winter book to me. Yeah. So, but the children, not so much. Yes, the children I should read right now. Okay. Well, I can't wait to hear what you think. (laughs) Thank you, Anne. I really appreciate this. It's fun to be on the other side of book (laughs) recommendations. I'm glad to hear it. Thanks for coming on. Hey, readers. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please head to the podcast site to let me know there what you thought of my recommendations and to share your recommendations for what Annie should read next. 
That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 44. And it's also where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Don't forget to tag the show on Instagram at what should I read next so we can see what you are reading. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.